The following sermon was preached on September 26, 2021 at Antioch Presbyterian Church, a mission work of Calvary Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Woodruff, South Carolina. Pastor Joseph Harrell, Mission to the World Missionary to Columbia, preached this sermon entitled The Circle of Blessing and Thanksgiving on 2 Corinthians 9, 6-15. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com or contact us at info at AntiochPCA.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. Our Father once told us of a sermon. A sermon in which the preacher held something in his hand. And the whole time he preached, he reminded the listeners of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. He reminded us, or those present listening to the sermon, that all that we have, all that we ever hope to be, comes from God. And then finally, as he completed his sermon, urging the church there to freely give, as we had freely received, he opened his head. And he went to the offering plate and dropped in a coin. How difficult it is for us to preach on money. Perhaps there are two reasons for that. The first reason is that often those of us, when we are pastoring a church and we preach on money, someone might think, he's looking for a raise. Another reason is just turn on the television, at least in every country where we have lived, and there's always those who are, feet, are preaching the false gospel of health and wealth. You know, if you give to God, if, if you sow abundantly, then God some way is obligated to bless you financially. It's, it's like a business investment, and the scriptures know nothing of this. Well then, why are we preaching on money tonight? Well first and foremost, because we are called to proclaim the whole counsel of God. And the scriptures speak in the Old and the New Testament much upon the idea of the fact that all that we have belongs to Him. Every time we sing the doxology, we raise our hands and we say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Have you ever wondered, children, why before you eat, you pray and give thanks to God? I mean, think about it for a moment. Your mother, often it's your mother, goes over to the refrigerator and she opens the door. Now, the refrigerator is full of all sorts of wonderful things. Or she may go to the pantry or you may see your father or your mother stop by the grocery store. And so it is so important as we begin tonight to talk about this great circle of blessing to understand that all blessings come from God. We see that he is a cheerful, generous giver. And then we will see Secondly, how that is part of who we are as a church. 
part of our worship, a service of, of worship of every church is the matter of giving and receiving. And then we will see the impact of that giving in the lives of others, that it does meet real needs. And finally, the circle is completed as it comes back to thanksgiving, an outpouring of thanksgiving to God. I would say the proposition of the sermon tonight, and I so appreciate in this church that often a proposition is clearly stated. The proposition of this sermon is God is a generous, cheerful giver. All blessings flow through him. His grace and provision to us then flows to others, which results in many thanksgivings to God. Did you get all of that? Well, let's break it down. Let's begin with, first of all, how our God is a generous cheerful giver. Look back with me at verses 8 through 10 and I said look back. Actually I need to read the text I'll be preaching from tonight. The difficulty with this message is there is so much that has gone on in 1st Corinthians and now in 2nd Corinthians a historical background in the book of Acts as well that in some ways we will have to touch on tonight in order to understand the context of 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 15. This is the text for this sermon. And let me read that first of all. We will read verses 6 through 15. Now this I say, He who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. Let each one do just as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed, as it is written. He scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness abides forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increasing the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality which through us is producing thanksgivings to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all, while they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Did you follow the circle? The circle begins with God's blessing, his provision to us. In verses 8 through 10, we see that God is a generous giver. He is the one who is able to do, as the Apostle Paul says in 
Ephesians chapter 3, above all that we could ever ask or think. He provides for us. He sends his reign on the just and the unjust. As we think of God's provision and of his blessing for us in material things, we must recognize as this text ends with the greatest gift and provision of all. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 that we read a moment ago reminds us of his greatest gift, his indescribable gift, his provision for our salvation in the one who though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that through his poverty we might become rich. And so God is a generous, cheerful giver. He provides seed for the sower. He provides bread for the eater. We think of God's provision for his people in the desert. Thousands and thousands of people in a desert. What were they to eat? God provided for them. God is a generous giver. And so, as we recognize in our homes, every time we eat, we bow our heads and we give thanks. You know, that food really didn't just come from the refrigerator, did it? It didn't come from the pantry or the store. It comes from God, who provides everything, food and clothing, a shelter over our heads. It is all from Him. He is the provider. This is given to us in Psalm 112, another psalm which speaks of God's provision for his people. And quoting there, it says, He scattered abroad, he gave to the poor. And oh, how God richly gives to us both physical blessings and his provision. We pray in the Lord's Prayer that he would give us our daily bread, but also we recognize that he has given us the bread of life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, how then do we respond to this? We respond to this in what the scriptures describe in verse 12 of our text as a ministry of this service. Literally, what it is saying here is that the diaconal ministry, in this case it is a diaconal ministry, it is to meet the physical needs of the church that is suffering in Jerusalem due to the famine and due to persecution. The gospel had come from Jerusalem. It had come through Antioch and then on to Corinth. And now the Corinthians, the Philippians and others are having the privilege to be a blessing to those who are in need. And so we'll see more of this offering later. But it is an amazing and astounding thing how much of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians specifically have to do with this offering and what God was doing there at that time. One of the things that must be stated at the outset here of the life of the church is specifically the idea that this is 
not something that we do on the side. But it actually says here that it is the diaconal of our liturgy. Or it is part of who we are. It is our confession of Christ. If we know the grace of God, which is in Christ, every time this offering plate is passed and we put in our offering, we need to recognize, as once a young boy did, that really what we are doing is we ourselves are getting in the offering plate. We were reminded this morning that we are to be a living sacrifice. And so, as we give, we recognize with open hands and open hearts that all that we have is, uh, is from Christ. It belongs to Him. And so, we give generously. How is this giving to take place? Verse 7 outlines it for us step by step. It says that each one... Do just as he purposed in his heart. When I was studying this verse, I looked in vain for the verb. I was looking for a command where Paul would say to them, as an apostle, I command that you give to this offering. After all, he was encouraging them to give to the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. He himself would be going there with others to take this offering as we'll see. But there's no verb in this verse. It is as they purposed in their hearts. You'll remember in the book of Exodus, as the tabernacle was being built, that the scriptures say that the Lord called upon the people those who were moved in their hearts to give. You'll remember that they gave so much material and so many other things that they had actually too much to give. They had to say, stop, don't give anymore. I hope that one day that'll happen here at Antioch, that in terms of both of our local benevolences and, and, and all of the other expenses of our church, of paying a pastor, even going beyond that to giving, to meet the needs of others around the world, that um, we would uh, be looking, as occasionally a church will do to us, they'll contact us and say, do you have anything in Colombia? Uh, anyone who has special needs? Because this year we have a surplus in our budget. And, um, and so may this be how the Lord moves our hearts. But it says, not under compulsion. There's no arm twisting here. When I served with the National Presbyterian Church of Mexico, I learned that the pastors were required to give their tithes to the presbytery. Required to give their tithes. They were checked on to give their tithes. There were at least two problems with this, and I'm not going to take time to go into them, but one of those really was they were under compulsion. It says here that they, that we are not to give grudgingly. The word here is with regret. That maybe like the person with the coin in his hand or in her hand, you know you want to give that, but it's hard to do that. That is giving grudgingly. And the text says that we are not to give 
sorrowfully or regretfully, but joyfully. The word here, as many of you have heard this sermon before somewhere, is actually the word from which we get our word hilarious. <laughs> the idea would be joyfully rejoicing we are to give. The great example that's given to us, first of all, is God himself in giving his son. Of the Lord Jesus in coming willfully and laying down his life for the joy set before him. And yet we see another example, a human example, one that still to this day amazes me. It's the Philippian church. You read about it in 2 Corinthians 8 verses 1 through 5, those verses that we happen to skip over in our text. Listen carefully. 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. For it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints, the offering that they were getting ready to send. For I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely that they have been preparing since last year. I'm going to go back to chapter 8. It is chapter 8. Let's go back to chapter 8. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. The churches in Macedonia, one of those churches was the church in Philippi. That in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. How could that be? How can there be a church that is very poor, described here as deep poverty, but yet, some way or another, they were overflowing in liberality. Let's read on. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participating in the support of the saints. They were already involved in this at Philippi, this matter of giving and receiving. But he says, not only this, not as we had expected, they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. What is the impact on a church that out of its poverty gives? Well, it's a church that's not looking at their own resources. It's a church that recognizes that the God who is able to do above all that we ask or think will provide for us liberally and generously because he is generous so that we may be generous to others. But so often, I don't know about you, but we are like the Corinthians. The Corinthians, all the way back in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1, 1 Corinthians 16, 1, they were already a year before setting aside an offering. And the offering one day would go to the saints in Jerusalem. But as we read in our text, what happened? That giving stalled. They had good intentions to give. Titus had gone and encouraged them. They had started, but they didn't continue. They didn't follow through. And so the apostles' admonishment to them and to us is to complete what you have started. 
to follow through. When we give generously, we are really following God's example who has given generously. And so, part of the very life, part of our confession here at Antioch is a matter of generous giving. We have observed something as we have visited churches often seeking to report on the ministry of a church that's supporting us. We have noticed that churches that have a heart for the world have a heart for their neighbors. Churches that open generously their finances to meet the needs of believers around the world are churches that generally do not have financial problems. God blesses this service of ministry to the needs of the saints. And that's our next point. <laughs> this giving supplies the needs of the saints. Now some of you are familiar with the context of Corinth and Philippi and what was going on in Jerusalem. But again, let me just emphasize how great the need was. In the book of Acts, we read that there was a famine. We also know that there was severe persecution taking place. At one time, everyone but the apostles were scattered outside of Jerusalem. Christians had been dispersed to other places. But those who remained were suffering. And in this context, in verse 12, when it refers to the needs of the saints, this was the destiny or the purpose of this offering. The offering was being uh, put together with the churches that actually had received the word from Jerusalem, but now they were giving back in what the apostle describes as equality. Now, by quality, we're not talking about uh, balancing this much money comes here, this much money goes there. But what we're talking about here is that they had received the word. Now they were giving to meet real needs of people at that time. God was using one to receive and one to give. The, the point is made that later, it may be the other way around. There may be the churches in Macedonia, Achaia, and Corinth giving, or receiving rather, from the church in Jerusalem. One of the striking things about this offering was the care that was given of how the offering was going to be delivered. And this is such an important point, as we're emphasizing tonight as a replant, as a new church in one sense, it is so important that from the very beginning, part of our DNA is a heart for the world. And that will be reflected in the giving and the vision of this church in this way. But in the same way, this passage has much to teach us on accountability when it comes to finances. Money is a dangerous thing, both outside and inside the church. In verse 12, 
We have already seen that this ministry was to be uh, meet the needs of the saints, this offering. But in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, beginning with verse 16, there's a rather long section that deals with how the offering will be delivered. Acts 8, 16. But thanks be to God, who put the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus, for he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he has gone to you of his own accord. And we have sent along with him the brother whose fame in the things of the gospel has spread through all the churches. So Titus is now involved. And another brother who is famous in all the churches, he is also involved. And not only this, but he has also been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work, in the work of delivering the, and uh, raising the funds and delivering them to Jerusalem, which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself, and to show our readiness, taking precaution that no one should discredit us in our administration of this generous gift, we, for we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but in the sight of men." When an offering is taken in this church, and on more than one occasion, I have been asked, can you come and help count the offering? Now, that doesn't mean that the person counting the offering is having a little trouble with the numbers that night. But why is that? Accountability. We do not simply take for granted that we cannot be tempted in this area. And this is at every level in the local church, in the administration of funds, in another way. It is so interesting how much emphasis is getting to this. Paul is saying, we want to have a good reputation. Everything needs to be above board in the eyes of men, but most of all, before God. And it goes on to say in verse 22, And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. So we have Titus, this other brother. We have other people involved in working in the administration of this gift. But guess what? It doesn't stop there. The beginning of chapter 9, the passage that I did skip in our meeting, our reading, talks about a team that is going to go to Corinth before they actually come to take the offering. Knowing the nature that we sometimes have of having good intentions and starting things in the church, like uh, putting together an offering the first day of each week for the needs of the saints in another place, just to be sure, they are going to send a team to the church to encourage them to be sure that they are ready when it's time to send that offering. Why so much care over financial matters? We've already seen. It's part of our confession. It's part of our service. It's part of who we are as a church because we, by grace, have freely received. And so we freely give to meet the needs of others. 
for the last couple of years, since the beginning of the pandemic in South America, we have had the privilege of seeing the very thing that we are studying tonight being fleshed out. Recognizing that as soon as the economy was hit due to the pandemic, many of the churches in Colombia and other countries on a good Sunday and every faithful member tithing their income, all that they had earned that week at 10%, the tithe would come to zero. For no one was being paid. No one had jobs. How were the pastors and the pastoral candidates to eat that week? There were no funds. But what did they do? They did something that amazed us. They first gave themselves to each other. They recognized that there were needs around the country, immediate needs. One church quickly said, you can use our bank account. Oh, we will let anyone whose heart moves them, not under compulsion, not grudgingly, to give and this money then will be sent to those with the greatest need. Now, how is that money administered each time it is given? Does one person take care of that? There were three. And one of them went to be with the Lord. There are still two. So every time money is sent by those who have very little to give, and then sent to others with the greater need. There's at least two people counting the money, overseeing what comes into that account and how it's distributed, and that is reported at each presbytery meeting. May we always be careful in this way, for not only is the ministry of service and giving important, but how that's administered so that everything is done before men, correctly, but more importantly, before God. And then where does this all lead? As we receive the blessings of God, as we generously give to others, as needs are met, then how does this circle conclude? We've already read it, verses 12 through 14. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Skipping down to verse 14. While they also by prayer on your behalf yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Two things happen when we give to meet the needs of others. The first and most important is many thanksgivings are given to God. Tonight there are churches that are giving thanks for you. Now, those churches are in South America. Some of them are in huge cities and some of them are in very very small towns. But they know that you are praying for them. And they are giving thanks to God for your prayers. 
as we heard this morning, as we prayed by name for people in Australia, in New Zealand, it's so important that there is a relationship that is there, that we pray for one another. And that's the second thing that happens. The Lord binds our hearts together. Uh, Becky and I are getting ready, and one of the reasons we have been traveling is because the second half of the month of October, uh, a couple that we always talk about, all of you, every chance we get, the first Colombian pastor uh, trained uh, by Mission in the World will be here in South Carolina along with his wife, Sandra. Javier is responsible. He's the uh, person who heads up our committee to train new pastors, not only in Colombia, but through Colombia to other nations. And so as we have the opportunity to hopefully have Javier, you will be able to visit with him and son that they can practice their English, you can practice your Spanish. What takes place is that bond, a yearning, a love, but also real needs are met. None of this would be possible. We would not be able to extend grace to others. We would have absolutely nothing to give if it were not for God's gift of grace. What flows through us to others and what results in many thanksgivings to God is really a reflection of the greatest blessing of all. The gift of God, which goes beyond human description in any language. We cannot begin to describe that which is indescribable. Uh, this morning in the Sunday School time, we uh, had our minds stretched as we talked about God's attributes, that, that He is infinite, that He has always existed and always will exist. He exists outside of time and space and, and with each attribute our minds were stretched further. He is indescribable. But yet the point of this whole message, the blessing of God begins and ends in the gift of His Son, the indescribable gift. When we understand that we have been bought with a price. We do not belong to ourselves and all that we have or ever hope to be is His. Then we can no longer keep our hands closed. Freely we have received. Of His grace we have received. And so freely we give. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cashville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.